Welcome to another episode of Life Stories by Congo Kid, where I share my experiences of growing up in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. My hope is you find knowledge, entertainment, information, and insight of another culture and a new perspective of the Congolese people and Africa. Today's episode is about a disease called leprosy. Leprosy is also known as Hansen's disease. It's a very misunderstood disease, and even though I spent many years with people with leprosy in my growing up years, I learned a lot in the preparation of this episode. I wasn't scared of being near them or shaking their hand. Should I have been? How contagious is it? How is it transmitted from one person to another? If I told you I had leprosy, you'd immediately pull back. Why? Well, the name is associated with a horrible disease relegated to third world countries that causes skin and nerve issues and disfigurement. So to test my thesis of people's misunderstanding or lack of knowledge of leprosy, I asked a few people what they knew about leprosy. Richard, what do you know about leprosy? That is contagious and that's pretty much all I know. If I had leprosy, would you shake my hand? Probably not. Do you think leprosy is curable? Um, with today's modern medicine, I think it is. If I had leprosy, would you shake my hand? Absolutely. I would shake your hand. Is leprosy contagious? I don't believe it's contagious. Describe leprosy. I think leprosy was something they categorized a group of people with that maybe looked different, and they called them lepers and shunned them, and maybe they all had different ailments, I don't know, but it was a way of lumping people, the undesirables, together. So can you describe the disease? Pieces of your body falling off, maybe marks all over your skin, deterioration. So Dawn, if I had leprosy, would you let me sit this close to you? No. What do you know about leprosy? I know that it's a disease and it affects your body parts and skin and you get cast out. If I shook your hand, could you potentially catch leprosy? No. Is leprosy contagious? I feel like it is, but it's not. So Bob, if I had leprosy, would you shake my hand? Yes. Describe the disease leprosy. I, I believe it's a bacterial disease that uh, starts eating the skin. Now I believe it's cured by, uh, by antibiotics that weren't available years ago. Would you rather have leprosy or diabetes? I think I'd rather have le uh, leprosy because I can be cured of leprosy where I can't be cured of diabetes. So Darren, describe the disease leprosy. I know it's a skin disease, and I know it's generally boils on the skin, like really bad, I think sort of like chickenpox, but I don't know that it's, I think it also impacts your, your mouth and kind of gives you, I think, something along those lines. Describe the disease leprosy. My understanding is 
it's a disease that attacks the flesh and attacks the nervous system and you have feel you have no feeling and so parts of your body will fall off if I had leprosy would you shake my hand I don't know whether leprosy is contagious or not so probably not would you rather have leprosy or diabetes I'd rather have diabetes do you think there's a cure for leprosy to my knowledge there isn't can you die from leprosy absolutely So you just heard a handful of college-educated people in Southern California share what they know or think they know about leprosy. Well, here's the real description of leprosy. Yeah, it's a very interesting disease. Historically, Hansen was a Norwegian, and he discovered the bacillus in Bergen, Norway. So we always think of leprosy as being a tropical disease, but it isn't. It's one of those diseases of poverty, ignorance, and misery. There was a lot of overcrowding and poverty in Norway in those days, and there was a lot of leprosy. The organism enters your body through the nose because the infectious people, people who have lepromatous leprosy, get a lot of inflammation in their nose and their larynx, and they're coughing out thousands of bacilli, millions of bacilli every time they cough. Uh, the bacillus likes the cold parts of the body. So it affects the skin, and it affects those nerves under the skin. You know, the nerve under your funny bone, the nerve around your ankle on the outside, if you feel one, that's called a perineal nerve. And so those nerves that are cooler get affected, and so it damages nerves. And the damage from leprosy is not so much from the bacillus itself. Actually, the people that have the least immunity from it, those with lepromatous leprosy often have the fewest ulcers. It's when your body tries to fight the bacillus and does it in a nerve, you get inflammation, that inflammation destroys the nerve. And so people have these misconceptions that your fingers and toes drop off when you have leprosy. What happens is you lose the ability to feel pain and you may get some muscle abnormalities for instance, if your ulnar nerve is involved, you end up with a claw. And if you can't feel any pain, you'll grab something hot and you'll burn yourself. You'll rub off the skin. If you have a anesthetic foot, you'll walk with a stone in your shoe and you'll wear a hole in your heel. You and I wouldn't do that because it would be too painful. But if you've had a nerve damage from leprosy, and incidentally, the same thing can happen with people who have diabetes, who have diabetic neuropathy that's lasted a long time. They'll often end up with feet that look like they've had leprosy. So that's, in a nutshell, is what leprosy does. It destroys nerves. That was Dr. Leo Lanois. He spent 16 years in the Democratic Republic of Congo from 1975 to 1991 as a general practitioner but he focused heavily on the disease of leprosy. He is currently still practicing medicine in Saskatchewan, Canada. As an aside, he was a pretty good tennis player, and on Sunday afternoons, he and I would often play. I don't remember who the better player was, and I'd like to think that youth prevailed over age and experience back in the late 1970s, but I guess it doesn't matter at this point 40 plus years later. 
But what I do remember as a high schooler was hearing about his passion and heart for those with the disease. We had a leper colony near our mission station, and many of the workers on our boarding school campus had the disease. It was rather prevalent in our area, and Dr. Lanois worked with many others in the area to monitor, track, treat, and help those with leprosy to live better lives with the various therapies. So what led Dr. Leo Lanois to pursue this unique niche of medicine? Well, leprosy is, is a fascinating disease. It's a chronic disease, and it's a neglected disease. No one else was very much interested in it. And uh, Dr. Roger encouraged me to do it because uh, that and tuberculosis, because it just needed to be dealt with. And once I got into it, I was fascinated by it, by both those diseases, which are incidentally very closely related. Leprosy is caused by Mycobacterium lepra, and tuberculosis is caused by Mycobacterium tuberculosis. And so they're chronic illnesses. The other thing I liked about it was that it was chronic care medicine. Chronic care medicine, you actually get to know your patients. It's not like working in a walk-in clinic where a new face every time. You know, with leprosy, you know that you're going to deal with that patient as long as you're there. So you get to know them as a patient. You get to know them as a Christian brother and sister. And most of the leprosy organizations in the world are missions. So they have the discipling principle involved there, too. And so that made it more interesting. I, I had a professor tell me once or tell our class that if you know enough about anything, it becomes fascinating. And I think that's true. Probably you know a lot about what you do, and it's pretty fascinating for you whereas it would be kind of overwhelming and boring for me. So, As you heard from the random folks I asked, there are many misconceptions about leprosy. Here are some clarifications. There are misconceptions. Some, one of them is that leprosy is very catchy, and it is and it isn't. For instance, I've been infected with leprosy. I know that from skin tests, but I'm one of those lucky 95% of people who can never get leprosy. You have to be immunologically susceptible. So if your immunity is good and you have absolute resistance against leprosy, you won't get it. If you have a little bit of resistance, you'll get the kind that will heal by itself but may damage your nerve. And if you have none, you'll become a leprosy patient. Those are the ones that end up with really thick skin and nodules all over the place. They have absolutely no immunity. And if, if you nick their skin, they basically have billions of bacilli per gram. And they may not have much nerve damage initially because they can't mount an inflammatory response. They can't try to heal themselves. There's a gradation along there, and you know that's a two-hour lecture, so we won't go into that. For those that have read the Bible, there are many stories about people contracting leprosy and being cast out of their communities. They were deemed unclean. Is the leprosy in the Bible the same as what we refer to leprosy today? And the answer, most sort of, a lot of leprologists are Christians, and some of them are very good Bible scholars. There was a guy called Stanley Brown who was outstanding in his day. Old Congo missionary, died in the 80s, but he wrote a lot. And he felt, and most of us agree with him, that the leprosy of the Old Testament was probably not leprosy. The leprosy that Jesus healed probably was leprosy. An example of the leprosy in the Old Testament is 
at some point when Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Moses, Miriam stuck her hand in her gown and pulled it out, and it was leprous, white as snow. Leprosy is never white as snow. Psoriasis is white as snow, but leprosy, you get some discoloration. If you're black, the lesions are, are lighter. If you're white, the lesions are darker, but it's never white as snow. And so probably any skin condition, and those of us who've done a lot of leprosy know that I've had a lot of people brought to me who've been treated for leprosy for years who've never had leprosy. They were just misdiagnosed. And of course, nobody in biblical time defined leprosy as the infection caused by Hansen's bacillus, right? It had a much broader meaning in those days. I've interacted with many people with leprosy. Many of the workers at our boarding school campus had leprosy, as I previously mentioned. Or I would encounter people with the disease in the villages when I visited them. Should I have been wearing a mask and practicing six feet of social distancing like we are doing now with the COVID pandemic? You know, those people no longer had leprosy. They were former leprosy people. So what you were seeing was the effect of their damaged nerves. But uh, you probably could have cut them up in little pieces and not found one uh, leprosy bacillus in them, right? So they couldn't be infectious. When I first started treating leprosy, they only had Dapsone or cell phone. And by the time I came in 75, there was resistance. So there were several patients who were very obviously infectious. Well, I've actually met a missionary, not for our mission, but from another mission who caught leprosy and was treated and, and was fine. But, you know, you, you can't catch it. But this patient, we treated her, him with the new meds. We, we treated all our new patients with new meds, and they all got better. So they went from being infectious to rapidly being uninfectious. Just so you know, yeah, the most bacilli, the, the pneumococcus, the gonococcus, those, they divide every 30 seconds. So you have one cell, four cells, eight cells. The tuberculobacillus, the organism that causes tuberculosis, it divides every 12 hours. And Mycobacterium lepra divides every 12 days. So with leprosy, they, you just have to treat the patient once a week and you're going to catch the bacteria somewhere in its dividing cycle, and that's when it's vulnerable. So anyway, you had no reason to be afraid because they were bacteria-free. Fortunately, progress has been made in the reduction of worldwide cases and the cure. Well, I just looked that up, and according to WHO, there were something like 5 million people in 1985. That's when I was doing leprosy. Now there are about, in 2019, there were 219,000 cases worldwide. So it's gone from 5 million to 2019. Now, there may be a, that many again who are not diagnosed. Just so you know, if you or I have leprosy, we can be treated for, depending on whether we have multibacillary or posibacillary, whether we've got a lot of bacilli or not. We'd be treated for a year to two years, and then we'd be cured. And because we were caught early, we'd have no nerve damage, or else whoever treated us would look after the inflammation of the nerve. So we'd have very, we'd end up being completely normal. The big problem with leprosy is it occurs in isolated places where people don't have access to good medical care. And if you happen to have your attack of leprosy in a war zone, or in an area where there's some disruption of medical care, 
and it takes you a year or two to be to be diagnosed, you may well be you'll still be cured of leprosy, but you will have the nerve damage of leprosy and end up with having to deal with the problems of having had leprosy. In Ethiopia, where I took the course, they found that they had a rainy season that was three months long and rained very heavily, blocked the roads. And their worst cases, those people who ended up with nerve damage, happened to be those that had the inflammation, flare-ups of inflammation in their nerves during the rainy season because they couldn't get anywhere to be treated. In the Congo, we had a pretty good setup for finding and treating patients throughout the, at least the CUM area, but there were For instance, Congo was prevalent among the river people, and they were very hard to treat because they would move from island to island. They were mobile, and so, and I'm sure that leprosy is still common there. And in order to fight it, you'd actually have to have mobile a mobile team that would follow people. And in this day and age, when everybody has a cell phone, it might be easier than in my day. But that was always something we were concerned about. Dr. Lanois was highly regarded in this field on the African continent. I was then. I haven't obviously treated leprosy for close to 30 years, So, but in those days I was considered an expert in leprosy. I was just basically a ground-level grunt. I learned from the international community. I went to international congresses mainly to learn, and the international community is well-organized there number of leprosy missions or leprosy relief organizations. They all belong to an umbrella organization, so they they can divert funds from one organization to the other if there's a, a hot spot someplace. And they really emphasize training people. So I was not an expert in the research sense. There were, there were a number of people who did, and I had a close friend who was uh, – had an MD and a PhD. He was a mycobiologist, and he'd worked on the Isle of Molokai where Father Damien had worked uh, at a later date, but there's a big leprosy research station there, and he'd worked in the Burundi, and then he'd worked in the Bakongo. And when I met him, he was a pathologist at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. So I benefited greatly from his friendship and from his mentoring. Most of his work was in area clinics to track and treat folks with leprosy, and particularly those in the immediate area. One thing I remember back in high school was how he helped with making special shoes for those suffering from the disease. Well, this sort of started after I took the course in leprosy at Alert in, in Ethiopia in 1976. That's where I learned about the shoes. They were rubber-tired out, outer sole, and they had... It was called plastizote. It, it molded. It was a soft rubber that molded to their feet, and it had no nails, so it was basically designed to keep protect their feet and prevent them from injuring themselves. And we taught them how to examine their feet, also because sweating is a function requires an autonomic nervous system that works. Their feet don't sweat, so they get very dry and cracked. So they were taught to soak their feet and rub palm oil on them just to prevent that kind of stuff. But when I first went there, no one had been very, very interested in that. They would kind of take their dullest nurse and put them in charge of the leprosy colony. So I acquired a fair bit of 
of expertise in leprosy during my course in, in Ethiopia, and I've taken several other courses. So I just examined, there were hundreds of people on the books. Turned out that a number of them were dead and they were still on the books. So, you know, a number of them had gone elsewhere and they were still on the books. But we started looking. Some were burnt out cases of leprosy that required no care. Some didn't have leprosy. Some had dermatitis, all kinds of, of different things, that skin diseases that weren't leprosy. So we dealt with them. And, and actually, in the Congo, leprosy did not carry a stigma like it does in India. In India, you're ostracized. People with leprosy are fairly well accepted, at least among the Baca. And some of them were quite unhappy being told they didn't have leprosy because people did things for people like leprosy, like give them blankets, give them rice. In the old colonial era, era, when you could be commandeered to work on the roads, if you had leprosy, you were exempt from that. So there were benefits that, you know, the benefits almost outweighed the disease. And then... Of course, the new medication were coming about, so those people who weren't responding well for treatment, we treated, I checked the kids. So it ended up that from having a few hundred people on records, we ended up at that particular village having about, I think, 35 or 40 people on treatment. And so that's what I did, and I did the same thing at Tandala, where you just review all the patients, those who have leprosy, those who don't. You have to have a special interest in it, and it's a time-consuming hobby. So people like Dr. Tom and Dr. Raj really didn't have a lot of time to devote to this. So has leprosy been cured? The prevalence of leprosy is, is greatly reduced, and leprosy is entirely curable. I mean, I'd rather get leprosy than, than a lot of things. I'd rather get leprosy than, say, diabetes mainly because I'd take two years of treatment and I'd be done. And, I, you know, you're not done ever with something like diabetes. But, again, the problem is that a lot of people who have leprosy live in places where they can't be reached. With the huge progress worldwide in the decreasing cases and the new medicines to stop or even cure leprosy, how are things in the Congo now? Well, you know, it looked really good when I was there until we left in 1991 because we, we were organized. There was the American Leprosy Mission that worked in our area. There was a leprosy mission that worked along the Congo River, and there was a Damien Foundation and friends of Father Damien who worked throughout the Congo. So we were getting really organized. People were trained to find and treat leprosy. And then, of course, you threw in 10 years of civil war, so... And so I suspect that things went backwards really, really quickly. And the thing you have to remember about leprosy is that it doesn't kill you, but you don't get better. And so over the years, the cases become cumulative. You know, you leave 10 cases there and you leave them alone for 20 years. How many cases are you going to find when you come back? Because if at least seven or eight of the original 10 are still alive, and there have been new cases developed in between, right? So I would say that I'm not from, I don't know where we're at right now with the leprosy work in the Congo because it it continued, but especially where there's civil upheaval, it, that work gets disrupted. He shares a story about one of his nurses on his team. A missionary's philosophy is always put himself out of work, right? You want to train people to take over so that you 
that if you're not there, the work continues. And so we trained a lot of uh, doctors and we trained nurse specialists. Each health region had to have a nurse specialist in leprosy and tuberculosis. My guy was a guy called Kalanda, who was a fantastic guy, very devout Christian. And he understood, well, I don't know if he understood the theory of leprosy, but he was certainly a better leprosy clinician than I was. And one day he pulls up to my clinic. I was just doing an ordinary clinic. And he walks in with a guy and he says, found a new case of leprosy. we got to treat him. So I says, well, when did he show up? He says, oh, I was driving through the market on my motorcycle and I saw that spot on his skin and I knew it was leprosy. So this was how good he was. I think one of the things that's, that's very important in any line of work you do is that it's not so much what you do when you're there, but what you leave behind when you go. And, of course, Kalanda continued to work long after we were evacuated. Uh, and there were many other people like him. And uh, that was true in, in all fields, in, in education, in the, in the pastoral ministry. When the missionaries pulled out, the system didn't collapse. They had been true to their calling of putting themselves out of work, although when they're there, they're very much appreciated, but they're not indispensable. I should also mention that the example he set of serving those with leprosy and the, quote, unwanted, unquote, continues to this day in Canada, where he works. Uh, my specialty is addiction medicine, and in a sense, uh, there's a lot in common because it's common, it's chronic, and people think of addicts pretty much like people in the old days used to think of leprosy patients. So they're the outcasts of society, but you shouldn't govern your relationships with other people by what illnesses they have. I deal with I, I treat HIV as a living as part of my practice as an addictionist because it's so common. And obviously in my practice, I have a lot of drug dealers and prostitutes. And people ask me, they say, you know, you were a missionary. How come you're so comfortable with drug dealers and with, with drug addicts and prostitutes? And I say, well, you know, as I read the scripture, God commands us to love those people. He's to judge them. It's not our job to judge them. That's God's job. Our job is to love them. And I think the big problem is quite often we forget to do our job and try to do God's for him. And it would just be better if we remembered that we're commanded to love people, not to judge them, especially if they're sick. Leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease, is very misunderstood. But as much as I learned while interviewing Dr. Lanois, I hope you, the listener, learned as much or more. It is great to hear that a debilitating disease that would lead to nerve and skin problems, even leading to loss of fingers and toes with no hope of a cure, actually can be cured if caught early enough. Not to mention the social stigma or community rejection of having it. And if it has advanced, the disease can still be stopped from further causing body deterioration with the new medicines that are currently available. I'd like to thank Dr. Leo Lanois for his expertise on the subject for this episode. But more so, I thank him for the example he gave me back over 40 years ago by going to the outcasts of the community and devoting his time and resources to bring them hope and a better life. And also, through his research and work, helping the international leprosy community with new therapies and medicines to slow the advancement of this horrible disease 
and for training those he left in Congo to continue on with the work. Well done, doctor. Well done. So that concludes this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and will join me again. Other episodes and blog articles on a variety of topics can be found at congokid.net. In addition, Life Stories by Congo Kid Podcasts can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm Jeff Eels, a.k.a. Congo Kid, your humble host. Until next time, I send you off with a farewell in Lingala. Paninga Nangai, Tikala Malamu. My friends, stay well.